Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident, rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Welcome to our first bonus episode. This is my full interview with Davis Barsby, our family friend who, as you might remember, had the courage to call me on August 5th, 2015 and deliver the news about Archer. Before we hit play on the interview, I wanted to let you know that we now have a Patreon page. Patreon, that's a place where you can join our online community and in the process, help us keep making this podcast. That's because of your generosity in making a small financial donation. Thank you. The website is Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash blink of an eye pod. And now let's start the interview with Davis. I am blessed to introduce you to Davis Barsby who is our daughter Paula's dear, dear friend. I mean, who going really way back when they were probably kids, 12 and 13 and 14, you know, playing under the boardwalk uh, or playing skee-ball at the arcade in Cape May. And uh, yeah, and and now Davis and, and his family and our family, we are all dear family friends. And uh, it is such a joy, Davis, to uh, bring you on and to be able to uh, talk with you and find out more. I, I'd want our listeners to know that you are the general manager of the Mill Dam Club in Wayne, Pennsylvania, which is in uh, outside of Philly. And at the time of Archer's accident, August 5th, you were um, the head lifeguard. You were one of the lifeguards there. And so yeah, yeah. we really... Um, this is an, an amazing conversation because we haven't been able to have any of these conversations um, or maybe better said, we just haven't. Uh, and so now this, this podcast allows us in a really wonderful way to be able to um, have them because I have so, it has crossed my mind, Davis, like you cannot believe the number of times when I, I've just been filled with gratitude for you uh, because it was you who made, you know, what I call now like the call to me. And I, I can't imagine what that was like. And I would like to talk with you about that because I've always felt that it was a man of real courage. And because we go back so far, and, you know, we had you in, in our, our phones, um, like just how that even came about 
and what it was like for you when you made the call on August the 5th to tell me that Archer had had an accident. Uh, the call was definitely something no one wants to do. Um, but knowing that I had a connection with you, um, it wasn't something I thought twice about. Um, I got on that phone and, and gave you the worst news you could possibly ever receive in your entire life. Um, and there was no plan. I think there was a lot of adrenaline at that moment. A lot of has already happened before I could make that phone call. Um, and I believe you were on your way to Baltimore. You had left recently. Yes. Yeah. So, um, having to tell you that and then trying to get to the, uh, school where I was supposed to meet the chopper. Um, there was just a lot going on trying to leave the club going back and forth, running from the beach to the pavilion. There's just so many different things going on. I actually don't even remember making that phone call at this point. I know I made the call and I know we had a conversation. I couldn't tell you where I was at that time. You know, if I was still on the beach, if I was up um, at the pavilion, if I was in the car, um, I, th I would think I was on the beach, but you know, I don't, I really truly don't actually remember. The it's call it that crazy, much. isn't it? Just, um, yeah, that there are so many things that we don't remember and, and we're, you know, we're just piecing, piecing back the pieces of the puzzle really, mm -hmm. or, or, or maybe kind of weaving a new tapestry. I think there are these amazing kind of analogies for what we're all doing together again right now. So what I, what I remember is, yeah, your adrenaline was, um, you were like misempt and I'm like Davis and you're like misempt, you know, like you were, you were breathy, like it's, it's Archer, it's Archer misempt, you know, he's had, he's had an accident misempt. And just to hear that quiver in your voice, I will, I will never forget. And, um, and I don't know if you'll remember Davis. I, you told me that, uh, you thought he had broken his neck. My, what went through my mind was just like, I mean, like I had no frame of reference, like broke, broken neck. Like, what is that? What, what happens? And then, and I just started asking you questions. Like, is he, is, is he, is he, is he moving his arms? And you said, no, Mrs. Sempt. And, but you were fast, like no, Mrs. Sempt. I said, is he moving his legs? Do you remember that? Is it uh, no, I don't. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I think, I think one of the things I asked you was, is he, is he talking? And she said, a little. A little, yeah. Such a Davis expression, a little. Yeah, he was able to speak a little bit. No. And then you know what you told me, Davis? You're like, Miss Sam, meet us in Atlantic City. Meet us. Hurry, Miss Sam. You told me, hurry, Miss Sam. Hurry, Miss Sam. And I just, I just knew like, how do I get to Atlantic city? Um, I, I was in the, you know, I was deep in the farm country of, uh, yeah. New Jersey at that point. You're amazing Davis that you didn't even think about it. And you just called me. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry. I had to make that phone call to you. Oh, I'm glad that you were able to answer. I'm yeah. glad it was the thing that you, your car broke down. There's just so much that went right in the worst possible time. It's crazy. That's, that's exactly right. There was, I mean, your phone could have been off, you know, who knows, who knows? So you could have been in a dead zone and didn't get my voicemails, you know, right. you never know. 
You know, because, oh my gosh, that gives me a new insight. That's exactly what happened because we all know there's many dead zones in the countryside because of all the trees along Absolutely. the yeah, along that those uh, back roads. You're driving through Cowtown, you know, it's your middle of nowhere. Exactly. And uh, and it didn't happen. And then I think that's probably why I couldn't figure out how to get to Atlantic City, because that is then what happened. I was in like a dead zone and my my phone and my GPS wouldn't work at all. You're helping me. That's that's exactly what happened then. But but it didn't happen when you called. No. no. You were able to answer right away. I mean Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. I mean, that was, um, that was a rough, that was a rough phone call. Probably one of the worst phone calls I've ever had in my whole life. Yeah. I'm sorry that you had to make it. Ah, I'm happy to, um, you know, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for making it. Yeah. Uh, sorry. This just so much, that's so emotional. I haven't thought about this in, in, in for so long and you try to push back these memories and, they all just come flooding back like that. It's crazy. Yeah. I think one of the one of the real pieces that's been the driving force for me about this podcast is that in order to move our lives forward, we push back a lot of memories. And um it's how it's the right thing to do so we can live. Yeah. And then and then when we're stronger and in a place that's a little distanced actually you know and time time allows that we then if we're i think if we're lucky we have a chance to go back and revisit them with support and love um yeah because there's been a lot also you know that happened and i think even between us and our families and then you know, you in the interim also really falling in love and or finding more love. And you and Paula always, you know, loving so dearly each other and then growing up and and then getting married and um, with different people, of course. But just always like something really, really deep. And, yeah. you know, I, I see you as as an extension of my family. Cause cause you have always like kind of been part of our family and you always will be. I appreciate that. I love this. I love you guys so much. It was such an amazing family. All 12 of you. <laughs> Unbelievable. I think you guys were like the first family that I knew that had that many people in it. it blew my mind. They just kids just kept coming. I think I was, I was like, how, how is this even possible? You know, I think the biggest family size I knew was like maybe three, three. So um, I think adding that, it was just such a funny dynamic, uh, hanging out with you, Sense, and then the whole Baltimore thing. And it's just, it's like a whole different world, you know? And uh, I've always loved that about you guys. And we always had Kate May. Um, yeah, Kate May. Yeah. And it, it can, it can feel larger sometimes than it actually is. Cause you guys get bigger, you know, and five, mm-hmm. five kids get bigger and they get bigger. And I see you got a whole nother generation of young boys that were down in Cape May. Yes. Indeed. And when I saw those pictures, it just, it made, it flooded my memory of like bringing my friends down for like the first time or like, you know, when you're a teenager and you're running around, you have a little bit of freedom and you're on bikes, you're showing your friends 
who've never been to Cape May, you know, or maybe haven't even been to a short town like that. And you get to kind of show them around. It's like, Hey, welcome to this other world three hours away that you have no idea about. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Uh, Our little little bubble in Cape May was shown to those 12 boys big. Like I called them like my man boys. Um, they all have turned 18, you know, thereabouts, um, you know, or, or, you know, some might be 17, going to be 18 in weeks and others have been 18 for, you know, like three or six months kind of thing. And they are absolute man boys. And I do think just the, the smell of the salty air and the freedom of riding your bike and yeah. you want on this little Island, mm-hmm. uh, is, is really, um, in fact, that's, that's actually, I mean, I just think about it too, that the day of Archer's accident. Davis, you know, his going to his beloved beach club. He loved working at the beach club. He loved being with you guys. Mm. He loved it. And he got on his bike that morning. I made him some coffee. And he he was showing off. He got on his bike holding his coffee, which was pretty usual. But it was just in a mug. And I'm like, you know, it's going to spill. And he turned around and like hands free, you know, like, hey, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no worries. No, no worries. worries. I don't need hands for this bike. I don't need hands for this bike. It's such that a. Is, that's some, that is some sure stuff right there. That is some sure stuff right there. That's yeah. Well, Davis, I, I'm, I'm wondering if, um, gosh, just to if you're willing mm-hmm. to go back to that day of, of August the 5th and the, the days that unfolded after that. And, you know, what, what was going on at the beach club? What was it like? I mean, we can slow it down from when my understanding, when Archer left the kitchen, asked somebody, I think he asked Rocky if he could take a break, you know, and he'd been looking forward to that. Um, he'd been looking forward. He told me that morning, Ma, um, it's hot as balls. I'm going <laughs> to dip in the, I'm going to take, I'm going to cool off and take a dip in the ocean. And like he yeah. knew, he knew. Yeah. He had planned. And you know, in that kitchen in August, early August, end of July, where it's just the hottest part of the year, basically. Um, and you're working over a hot grill, which he loved to do. He didn't want to run food. He wanted to cook food. And that kid was good. Yeah. He would make food. He'd get all excited about something. He'd bring it in. We would, you know, either be like, this is amazing. Or we'd bust his balls a little bit. Like this is terrible. Get this trash out of here. <laughs> you know, um, he was so excited to, to do that. And, um, he was so excited to do the drawings. And, but when you're going back to when you are in that kitchen and it's 115 degrees, the first thing you want to do, especially someone that, you know, goes in the ocean, swims, you know, frogs, you know, surfs, you want to get in the ocean. That's the main goal. So for him to get through that shift, walk down that boardwalk and jump in the ocean was the ultimate goal uh, for that day. And any, and any day, you know, we all wore board shorts. Even when I was in lifeguarding, you, you wear board shorts so that you can get in the water. You know, even when I started managing, I had a polo shirt on and a bathing suit on under, you know, like I'm getting in the ocean or the pool or something today. It's hot summer. So that's exactly what it tipped me off because being on the hot grill, 
he was always in khaki pants. And that morning he had on board shorts. And I said, hey, what's up with yeah. the board shorts? Because yeah. he used to wear pants. And I, and I would give, I, I haven't thought about that. And I'm like, why, why are you wearing pants in the summer? I don't even, you know, even for dinner, why are you wearing pants? It's summer, you're in Cape May. You know, you work in a kitchen. Why are you wearing pants? What are you doing? Um, hot, hot grease. Yeah. Crazy. But see, yeah. he, you saw him leave in, in board shorts. That's yeah. Saw him leave in board shorts. And I asked him before he left. And that's, that's when he told me, Ma, he's hot. You know, says it's hot as balls. Um, and I'm going to take a cool dip in the ocean. And he said it just like that. I'm going to take a cool dip in the ocean when I finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I think it's what happened, you know, so, so he's in the kitchen and he's cleaning up um, and he did love it. And I love how you would bust his chops here and there. And he loved, um, you know, he loved the drawings and whatever he'd be creating for the day. He wanted mm-hmm. to be in that kitchen. You know, Dave, it's just as a, as a little kind of going backwards, but when Archer first started working at the beach club, he was probably underage he so wanted to do whatever it took to work up to being in the kitchen. I mean, that, that, that was his goal. Yeah, That's great. He, he, it was exactly. And I, you know, from running food that he may have actually been like his first summer, literally like collecting trash and stuff like that. And then, and then he ran food. Mm-hmm. And then the next summer he was able to, uh, cook a little bit and then and then your cook because you were you were like an assistant manager yeah so I was the head lifeguard assistant manager so I was spending more time um, in the kitchen bar area than I was on the beach which at first I was like oh you know I'm assistant manager this is great promotion and then I'd be sitting at the bar for six hours during the nicest day and I'm like this sucks like I don't want to go back to lifeguard <laughs> This is I want to be demoted. Yeah, demote me. I'll take a pay cut. Let me go on the beach. I need my blonde hair for the season. Yeah, right. Um, uh, Yeah, so I was working with them a lot. And when you said that his first year, he really wasn't in the kitchen. That was kind of one of the things Rocky would do is he'd bring in a super young kid and you wouldn't even let him in the kitchen because they would just be in the way. And he would get so annoyed by that. So his kind of thing was, you, you're not, you don't even get to get in the kitchen. Walk around and do stuff. Find something to do. Yeah. Or I'll find it for you, basically. It was his mentality with that. And it's it's funny. Well, I remember the, those years when Archer would say, um, I can't, they won't let me in the kitchen. But yeah. I'll, and he'd say, but I'll, but I'll get in the kitchen next year. I mean, he was, he was, he, it was okay. The goal. Yeah. Always, always Archer. Oh, man. That is some teacher stuff right there. Yeah. yeah really, teacher really stuff. Stuff. I like that. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think he had such a thrill out of, um, you know, when the ladies would be playing bridge or cards or whatever, and he'd be oh, making yeah. a new rap and he, they would just want that. And he would be delighted. Uh, yeah. He pride in his, in his food. It was a creation for him. It was his art. Yeah. It really was. Now that I think about it. Yeah. He so he wore, he wore those pants because, um, he didn't want to get those, you know, the grease splatters from all those. Yeah, yeah. He would come home and report, you know, his, uh, 122 French fry orders and his <laughs> six pieces of bacon on the grill. And, you know, he would, he would see things in a really mathematical kind of, um, 
successful way. <laughs> oh my God. That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah so, so uh, that can, the pants make sense in there. There's a lot of grease flying around. A lot of grease flying around. Yeah. 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 So, so we went down and mm-hmm. uh, hot. And I guess it was also one of those, um, one of the hottest weeks we've had in Cape May in years. Yeah, it was definitely like a heat advisory, total melt. Everything was, it was hot. Yeah, it was hot. That's Hottest week of There were heat advisories. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so so we don't, you know, we don't know. We're just sort of piecing it together. Um, he, he told me within hours before his surgery um, what had happened, which is the only reason why I was so clear. But I wasn't there, you know. Um, yeah. and, and Archer just told me just a little piece of it when from being in the water and, and, and talking to God when he couldn't hold his breath anymore and yeah. basically everything went black. But he said, yeah, yeah, I was, t- I, was t- I was at the lifeguard stand. I whipped off, you know, took a whip off my shirt and ran down and Danny went one direction and I was in another. And he said, and then he just heard the loudest boom he's ever heard. And, uh, and then he said on, and this is all while he's on a gurney waiting for surgery. And he's, then he said, um, I knew I was paralyzed and I had to hold my breath, praying, praying that James would come get me because he knew James was out in the water. Yeah. He had gone down with James. They were like, ran in buddy to buddy, you know? Yeah. James jumps off the lifeguard stand and they run down. Yeah. Yeah. Total regular summer move. Nothing crazy. Just like, yeah. Like, like oh, there's a buddy coming down. You always want to, when you go, when you're a lifeguard, you always want to go in with someone, you know, it kind of can be boring going in. So it's kind of like, that could have been me going in with Archer, but yeah. James is like, no, like, you know, I'm going to go in. I'm, like, oh, I'm going in. All right. You know, cause one of us has to be up on the stand. We can't both go in. Um, so James went, James went, James went and they jumped in and everything looked totally fine. Yeah. Until they they didn't, they did their normal jump in, you know, 17 year old boys jumping in ocean, you know, being goofy. You don't really think about it. And just doing their thing. They both peeled off, you know, um, James said he went, he went first because he put on his fins. And, um, oh, he had fins on. I didn't even know he had fins on. Yeah, he had fins on. And that Archer was a little bit behind him because Archer needed to take off his uh, shoes and his uh, shirt. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. And then everything changed just like that. Everything. You know, you're looking at him. Um, I remember seeing Archer kind of floating. And next thing you know, I see James going over to him. And I couldn't tell you real time exactly yeah. the difference, but he started dragging him out. I'm like, what are these two doing? There's something going on. So I jump off the stand, run down, and it's it's real. The situation is real. The situation is real. James's face is white. You know, we're trying to pull him out. And the same time, you're trying to pull a kid out of the surf when it wasn't, it really wasn't, I don't think, a choppy day or anything like that. So it was kind of thank God it wasn't a very rough day because yeah. that could have been even harder trying to get him out, but just trying to get him out and flip him over and kind of 
wait for your training to kick in at the same time because you're kind of assessing the situation trying to see what's actually happening you don't know what's happening you just see james trying to pull him out and i'm running down so we get him out and he's he's talking though he's like coughing up and he's talking so you don't really know the severity of things you're like all right did he break his arm like yeah did he get knocked out what's going on and i remember him just yelling i can't feel i can't feel my legs i can't feel my arms but he was talking. So I'm like, all right, is he freaking out? What's going on? But we got him up out of the surf. I turned back, haul ass back towards the lifeguard stand. And at that point, people are standing up, you know, what's going on. And one of the first things on my way up, you look up and I see people, I'm like, call 911 as I'm running the stand because you have to call it in on the radio, but you also need to call. So, so beach patrol will come in and back you up, but you also have to call 911. So I was able to have someone do that as I get to the radio. So I get on the radio and I call, we have two radios. We have one to the main clubhouse of the beach club. And then we have the beach patrol radio, which we don't use unless there's a situation, you know, we're not really part of beach patrol, but we have communication with them. So I fired off a message saying possible C-spine at the beach club of Cape May, possible C-spine victim is breathing. Um, conscious. Uh, C-spine is potential of neck injury, broken neck. And that's what they call that. Um, I don't think I'll ever forget that. That yeah. saying. Um, yeah, exactly. Possible so C-spine. Possible C-spine. So if you call Beach Patrol, they're coming. You hear a possible C-spine, they're coming. I mean, they've come for anything, but possible C-spine is one of the worst calls you can hear on the radio. Like as a, as a lifeguard, you know, after I learned that, when you hear that, I mean, your heart almost stops because someone you don't even know, someone's like, someone's really hurt. Um, so you're, so you were trained to say that, but now, but you really didn't know what that really meant. And when they hear that, it's a, it's a serious call. It's, it's bad. It's bad. Someone's dealing with some stuff and someone's, you know, seeing some stuff. And um, so I made the call down to Beach Patrol and then I grabbed our walkie talkie. We have our own, this is the club communication walkie talkie and called up to the bar. And luckily, Harry back was there. We got Harry back. Rocky recruited Harry back uh, from the Beach Patrol. I guess he, at one point, he wanted to take over his captain and the captain of the beach patrol buzz has been there for like 50 years. So he was never going to leave. Um, and I think Harry had enough of not being, uh, in charge as, and I think he should be, Harry is an, uh, an amazing person. He trains all the beach patrol. He, uh, certifies lifeguards. I think he's an incredible person. Um, so luckily he was there and he got the call and he came flying up from the, from the bar. Um, I mean, he was at the beach club. He wasn't he was like at the beach coffee. club. He was at the bar and, uh, because he kind of took on like a bar, you know, assistant manager position at that point, it's kind of me and him running things. And, um, I don't think he really wanted to be in the bar. Um, and that's why he only probably did, you know, two or three seasons with us. Um, he had, he had moved on, he had, you know, bigger things he wanted to do, but he was at the bar. He came running up. And at that point, I was down back with James and Archer. I believe we had put him on his side to try to help get the water out because he was coughing up all the water. 
Uh, I think James at that point was working on him. There was a doctor on the beach. Um, I'm not sure who that gentleman was, but he was a beach club member or guest. And he came running down when we said call 911. So by the time I get back, the doctor is there. Beach patrol is coming running down. Um, and Harry was on his way to the scene, which only took a minute or two from that time that call went out. At that point, Harry then took over the scene because he's trained to do these things and he's seen these things. And Beach Patrol arrived on the scene and there was some really good people at Poverty. I think the guy was like ex-Special Forces. Oh my uh, gosh. Because I remember they're like, this is like the real deal. This is like the dream team of people who are going to help, who are going to help rescue this kid. Yeah, like just... Um, and at that point, when they had gotten there... Oh, such a blessing. They took over the scene. So we, I back, you know, back up off. We start kind of doing crowd control as well as, uh, I remember going and grabbing an umbrella, like the first umbrella I saw, like ripped it off. These people are sitting there, ripped off the umbrella because he's just, you know, they're trying to save this kid and you're getting beat up by the elements. You know, you got the sun beaming down on you on a hot day. The water's still kind of coming up. Um, it's, it's not a good situation. So we, you know, we grab umbrellas. We're telling people to stay back. I'm holding the umbrella at that point as they're, you know, working on him. Like, like holding the umbrella to give. So I'm holding the umbrella like over like arch. So the sun's not on Archer's face at that point. Right. You know, it's also a privacy. Wow. Um, you don't want people to see what's going on. Oh, wow. Um, in a situation, you know, that's heavy. But creating a workspace for them too. Yes, exactly. So, and at that point, the ambulance was on its way. So I remember taking off. We had gotten Archer. I helped Archer get on from uh, the ground to like a, our surfboard or rescue board because you needed a flat surface until the beach patrol showed up with their trucks and can get him on like a, uh, like a backboard, like a rescue backboard, which they would then use to transport Archer um, from the car to the ambulance. So we got him on the, it was either a truck or uh, like a, like a Polaris that they got Archer on. One of those beach buggy. Yeah, it's like a beach buggy that the beach patrol used to get around. Um, and they also have trucks that they use that the lieutenants use. And so there were a lot of vehicles arriving at the beach club at that point. Yes. So we had gates all the way at the end uh, where you first walk onto the platform to walk down the beach. We have a huge access gate um, that was locked. And I remember knowing that the ambulance was coming. The ambulance wasn't going to be able to get down to the beach. No cars, trucks can really get through that sand. Yeah. You, you can't. No, you can't. Um, even if you flatten your tires, like you have to have the right vehicle. Um, and so I remember at that point, we had got him onto the Polaris or a truck. I'm having trouble remember exactly what it was. And I took off. I just started running because I know that gate needed to be open. The beach patrol is going to have to get their vehicle through that sand and thank God they did and meet the ambulance, but that gate was closed. So I remember running up and trying to open the gate, but I think Rocky had opened the gate at that point. Cause it was so locked. It, needed, it, it needed was locked. locked. And then I think at that point, uh, we were looking, I ran back to the beach. I remember I had run back and forth like four times. Yeah. It's also part of the adrenaline and just, 
trying to figure out where I was best, where I could best be to help. Yeah. So I run back up to be down there, walk them up and then I run to, to be down to the beach. We're still waiting on the ambulance. The ambulance shows up. So I take off to go talk to them before, you know, as they're trying to bring Archer up. So I go to the ambulance and one of the responders because because the ambulance would have come the closest ambulance would have Mm -hmm. been in like courthouse. I think the closest ambulance was actually the fire department. Oh, the fire department came a fire department because one of the responders was someone I actually knew um, from Mickey Chu, owner of Big Wave Burrito, his sister's uh, husband. It was like a strange connection, but I knew him and he was like, like he saw I was panicked and I'm heavy breathing. I just ran, you know, 500 yards back and forth with everything going on, trying to, you know, help out. Um, and I, we brought him over to like the back part of the beach club where they could meet and load up Archer. So you, so you then, lifted, you brought whom over? You brought Archer over? No, I brought, so the, the EMT, I went and talked to them because he was one of the responders and they were, I guess, waiting for Archer to come up and they were making a plan of what they were going to do. Yeah, um, a, lot of, a lot of logistical, uh, a lot of logistics that goes into that. You don't think about at all. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm talking to him and I almost feel like it was like a third person, you know, I'm just like watching myself have this conversation and just like, everything's like coming together in my head. Like what just happened um, in between that time I had had to reach out to you. And I think that was kind of an emotional trigger for me as well. Um, I remember that being really hard and I'm a very sensitive guy. I'm like, you know, I get choked up very easily, very easily. You know, I avoid sad movies for a reason. Like I'm, it's, it's tough for me sometimes. And um, that's because you have so much emotional intelligence. Yeah. So talking to you and I remember, you know, I was sitting there and the EMT was like, Davis, like, we're going to have you get on the chopper we're going to have you go to Atlantic city with them. You got to go meet um, them at the school. Archer's going to get medevaced. Cause at that point we're going over logistics, trying to figure out what's going on. They had made the decision that this kid needs to be medevaced right away. So they said, meet us at the school, meet us at the school. The school? The school is where they were going to take Archer. Cause they have a field there. At the elementary school? The elementary school. They just said the school. And at that point, it turns out I went to the wrong school. So I didn't get on the chopper because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what school they were referring to. I believe they were referring to, do you know where he got picked up? Which school it actually was? No, I have no idea. I'm learning all this so, first time, but the, yeah. right, the island has only two schools, a West Cape May elementary and a mm-hmm. Cape May elementary. But then they also have lower, um, they have a middle school right on the other side yeah, of the bridge. Off, and I yeah. think, yeah, the off Island one is where they took him. Oh, and I remember going to the school and just, there's no, there's no choppers. There's no cars. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Where did they go? I'm at the wrong school. So I'm in a panic. Like I screwed up. I wanted to be on that chopper with Archer. Cause the EMT I knew was like, you should be on that chopper with him. Like you should yeah. go with them. Like yeah. where's his parents? And I'm like, I talked to his mom, you know, he's like, well then you need to go. Cause you're the next closest person to him. And I was like, Oh my, like, okay. So I remember getting into my car and I called Leah. Leah was down for the summer. Um, she was in between jobs and I called Leah and it was kind of a similar phone call that we had. Sorry. 
So I get on the phone with Leah and she's my girlfriend at the time. We're not engaged yet. You know, it's just a regular summer living a good life. And I make that phone call. I don't know where she was or what she was doing, but it was on the lines of something happened right away. As soon as she answered, like she heard, like heard my voice, I probably sounded just like this, but uh, even more freaked out. And she was like, we're not like what happened not like what's going on. Oh my gosh. She was like, where do we, where do you need me? Oh, yes. Beautiful. So she met me on the way from uh, the beach club, trying to get to the elementary school or one of the schools. I went to the wrong school. I don't even remember at this yeah, point. No, you went to the wrong school and you were panicked. Totally panicked. You were, you were the next family member essentially to be on. Yeah. The yeah. So but I'll never forget how she just was like, you know, oh, you know I loved her for that. Where just like, do you need me? Not like, oh, where are you? What happened? Going on what she was just like, where do you need me to be? Yes. So I remember Texas Avenue had, um, you know, Pittsburgh turns into Texas Avenue. And I had met Leo on the way. She jumps in the car um, and we take off. And there's traffic now, of course, going down that corner of Pittsburgh where it turns into Texas Avenue, yeah. kind of by like where my aunt Debbie lives in the Wawa. Uh, uh-huh. And I remember just like, we can't sit here. We can't sit here. I'm going to miss the chopper. I end up going on the wrong side of the road and bobbing and weaving through cars. I mean, people are like honking at me. Like, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm driving 90 miles an hour down Texas Avenue, passing cars left and right. No one's um, ever seen anything like that in Cape May. Yeah, no, it was like, what is going on? You would have thought I was uh, on a high-speed chase. Um, You were. And then we get to the school. There's nothing there. So I'm like, what's going on? We're like, all right. we got. And I had no one to to call at that point. Like, am I waiting here? What do I do? So we made the decision that we were going to go to Atlantic City. We're going to drive to Atlantic City. So we haul ass back to the, over the bridge. And we get down the expressway. And... I'm trying to tell Leah, you know, what, what had happened and what was going on, like what she was getting, you know, involved with at that point. Cause she still didn't really know what's going on. She said, you know, Archer's hurt and we got to go. She's no problem. So we're on the expressway. And um, you sorry. said two, two schools missed them. They weren't at either. Yeah, they weren't at either. So I missed them at the one school. And then I, th- I don't know, I must've called like Rocky or someone and been like, I don't know, like, I don't know where to go. They're like, just, I don't remember exactly what happened, um, but I just remember like we got to go to Atlantic City. Yeah, um, they weren't, weren't going to wait for you or whatever. They no. So at that point, I know I had missed it or you know miscommunication. Something happened there, so I was very upset. I missed missed the chopper because I wanted to be there on that chopper with Archer. I'm I'm sorry uh, you missed it too. Yeah, I'm so I'm sorry I missed it. I'm sorry you. Um, that you were doing. So we had that drive down the Parkway. Um, and I don't know how to get pulled over. I think I was going hundred miles an hour the entire way. Um, I'm thankful I didn't get pulled over. Um, I cause I may not have been able to been there. They could have been like, whatever you're under arrest for driving 30 miles over the speed limit. And I remember getting to Atlantic city and we parked, we found the hospital, you know, luckily we have like smartphones and stuff. We know exactly where to go. Uh, we went to the hospital and we were in a room in a waiting room, an empty waiting room and waiting pretty much for you to get there. And I remember talking with Paula. I remember talking with your husband, um, trying to... Is that, that, that's when you then called them. 
Yeah, I had called them. And I don't know if I had called Paula before. I think maybe on the way there, but I remember talking with Paula. I think I talked to Paula on the way to the hospital. Um, she might have a better idea of exactly that type because I'm, I'm having trouble remembering anything on that awful, awful car ride. Yeah, she does. She remembers. That sounds right. I may have placed it about right. And at that point, I think you had to show up. Someone had to get there. No one was around. I think everybody was back in Baltimore. You were going to be the first person that was going to show up to the hospital. So we were in a waiting room, uh, Lee and I, by ourselves. And we were trying to communicate what they were telling us, uh, I think, to Paula or you. I don't know if we had talked on the phone at that point anymore. No. Um, so I was communicating what I was, the information I was getting with someone in your family. I, I, I wish I knew who it was at this point. I would assume Paula. Um, and it was kind of a weight game until you showed up. And then you showed up and you, you were an absolute wreck. And it was so sad. And I could not imagine what you were going through. And I tried my best to be as helpful as I could at that point. But it got to the point where you were asking the same thing kind of over and over again. And at one point you didn't know where you were. Yeah. I think you had some shock going on. And I remember the nurse, she was, I think she was the head of the department that was in that room with us. And she was like, listen, you have to sign off on some stuff, but you have to get some clarity. I can't let you sign things until you figure out, you know, where you are. Like, you know, you were almost at the point where they want to, we're going to admit, admit you for something. Yes. Um, and I just remember being so scared to see you like that. Yes. You know, you see a parent figure, I'm just absolutely losing her mind and going through the worst time of her whole life. Yes. Um, and it just, there's nothing we could do. And we just kept trying to talk to you and tell you like what was going on and trying to get you back, but you were dealing with it and you were going through shock. I think it was some kind of shock. You know, I, I don't know exactly what it was, but you were going through it. And it got to the point where I think they had to have like an immediate surgery. I think that was the, the issue it was kind of waiting on that to happen. And we were there for a couple hours and then I think the rest of your family showed up. So Lee and I had left that room because it was now you and your family. And we were in like, I guess a hallway or the next room kind of just lingering, trying to figure out what we should do at that point. And I think it got to the point after several hours that you guys were there and it was best for us to, to leave. And I don't remember if I saw Archer. I don't think I saw him that day. I remember coming to the ICU. I don't know if it was like maybe later that week, um, but we had come to the ICU and that was the next time I saw Archer. Cause I didn't see him when we were in that waiting room together. That was, uh, that was just us. Well, I'll share a couple of things with you. Yeah. You texted me. It's one of the very first text messages that appears on my phone. You said, I'm, I'm reading from it. Ms. Sempt, I'm in the waiting room. 
and I text back, I'm sorry, I'll come get you in the waiting room later if you don't mind. I need to be by myself to pray. Please don't feel the need to stay. Honestly, what we need are your prayers. And you said, we will be in the outside waiting room. Stay strong. We will be praying the whole time. Do not worry about us. It was the kindest response, Davis, that you can. <laughs> because as I look at all these others, well-intended people like, where are you? What's the address? You know, what's going on? We heard something. And there's just this flood. And all I know is I am tunnel vision on one person, and that's you. And you are so kind to say, basically, we're not going anywhere, but we're going to pray, and don't worry about us. It was, thank you. And then later, you sent me another one. And you're right. It was, it was quite some time later. I guess I must have started to get a hold of myself. And you said, we won't stop praying until Archer walks. <laughs> so that means we don't stop praying, right? Well, yeah. And then, and then you and I actually had later some back and forth about, I asked you to do me a big favor and to go to my car. And it says, and, and then I, and it's so strange because I said it's across the street. Please bring me my laptop so I could dump data on my phone so I could record and take photos. And I remember I wasn't able to do that because my phone was so full. And I know that I, I couldn't understand this lady. And I said, I want to be able to, can you say it again? I want to be able to record her so I could hear her again. My yeah. phone wouldn't do it. And I said, I'll meet you at the door, level two, right across from the entrance on the far wall to the right as you get off the elevator. Like I remembered exactly where the car was. And I said, the keys will make it honk. It's Mr. Semp's Ford Escape, gray blue. And you got back to me and said, coming back now. And, and then basically later on, you came back and said, um, got it. <laughs> <laughs> It was, so, it was just so beautiful because it's in the middle of, you know, got it, exclamation point, exclamation point, coming back now. You were the extended family member. And again, I thank you. I thank you for that, Davis, because I also know that when you looked out and you saw Archer in the water, I know you thought he was pranking around. And I want to talk to you about that because I don't want you to ever, ever have any regret, shame, uh, guilt over having that thought. Because I think maybe you did. I wish I could have got him out even sooner. And I'm grateful that James was in there with him. And 
I do have regrets on that day. Of course, you always want to do something better. Always. Um, and that's something I think about, you know, from time to time. And I appreciate you saying that because at one point I, I, I tried, I did everything I could. I know I did. Um, can you, can you just pause and just take that in? Say that again. I did everything I could. I know I did. I did everything I could. Yes, I know. And I love your family so much. And I'll always want to be able to do something I could have done better. You know, even if it was good enough or even if it helped save his life, I'm always going to want to have done better. Yes. And that just comes down to the person who I am, you know, how I think about things, you think about things over and over again, you know, a conversation that you said something stupid, even like, you're like, I wish I could have, you know, so always think about that. Um, but I'm grateful for every single person that was on that beach that helped us keep Archer alive. I am too. We could have lost them right there on the beach. Definitely. Definitely. Could have lost them right there on the beach. Could have lost them. You got people dying to this day on, on New Jersey beaches. There's been a few deaths this year and every single time I hear it, it hurts. Wow. I didn't see strangers. And every time I hear that report, man, it's just, it hits differently. It really does. It does. It's not, it's not a, it's not just a news flash. No, it's not. No. There's a lot of crazy news and people getting hurt. And I think it takes something that personally affects your life and makes you, you know, you go through something to change your perspective. Yes. It does change your perspective. It changes everything, doesn't it? My perspective has been changing a lot. Yeah. New tie, new job, new, new life, new, new fatherhood. Yeah. My perspective, I don't, even, I don't even know what my old one was at this point. <laughs> um, well, the, the journey is to uh, integrate, right? Yeah. The old perspective with the new. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, our, it's our life journey for all of us to integrate. And you're, such yeah. a good, you're a good man and a good person. And, you know, it's one of those things you will learn as a father when your daughter... God forbid that she ever disappoints you uh, or does anything wrong, but she will because she's human and she will because you allow her and still love her. And that's the, that's the, that's the beauty of living that we are fragile and we also are strong and resilient. And we can, as parents, live with all the, why did I ever, you know, let him do this? Or why did I, why did I go back to Baltimore for that, that freaking mediation? Why did I let him work at the beach club that summer? I mean, you know, we could, we could go yeah. crazy on, you know, why, why did I not ask, why did I say, Oh, we're in a board shorts to go take a swim. Maybe you should just wait until, you know, you're off work and come back to the cove and take a swim. I mean, you know, like we could just play out all the crazy what if scenarios. The what ifs are a dangerous thing. Yes, they'll kill you. 
they really will kill you if you stay stuck in the what ifs. It's hard not to sometimes. It is. Yes, it is hard not to sometimes. I think that's another piece for us, Davis, that it's probably worth visiting the what ifs and then to come back to the now, you know? Yeah. And that way we don't have to have faked it or bypassed it um, or pretended. We can play out some of those what ifs and then, and then be grateful because it's in, it's in now, like you just said, like all the right people were, were there for something that was so horrible. And all the, all the right people were there or have been praying, right? I mean, yeah. you know, that's something else. Prayer. Or are you are you a man of faith? I mean, I just think. Yes, I uh, I found my faith. I, I was when I was younger. I was forced to go to church, like any kid. Yeah. Um, grew up Presbyterian, which is kind of re- relaxed in the aspect of you know when you're comparing it to like the Catholic. Um, you go to church once a week for an hour, then have milk and cookies after in the room. Um, I was always against going to church and everything. And my mom was like, you know, I really want you to go on this, this mission trip. And these mission trips, the first one was to Puerto Rico. And we went there and our music guy was one of the head guys for the organization. He planned all the music nights. He did every, he, he, had, a, his, he had his hand in a lot. So we were kind of a popular group coming in there. And what we did was we stayed in kind of like a school. It was like a school gymnasium. And we went to a really rough part of Puerto Rico and we rebuilt up houses for a week. And I remember being like 16 or 15 being like, this is the last thing in the world I want to do is to go to Puerto Rico with a bunch of church people and work in the hot summer sun. Like I want to be in Cape May at the Cove on my longboard. What are you talking about? I'm not doing this. I remember fighting it for a long time. And on that trip, you know, I maybe thought I was too cool for school at some points, you know, and, um, and I remember one point just kind of giving into it and just going with it, you know, going with the, the church music and the kids who are probably who I wouldn't hang out with. And on the house we were working on, the lady had probably not spoken in 20 years and she was in hospice. And when we were there, they had like a priest every day come in and read her her rights. And I remember just being so gloomy and we were out painting our house. We, I think like power washed it, fixed up some windows, uh, painted it, you know, did some gardening, just like really try to ramp up her house. And I remember towards the end of it, we had a school bus come to pick us up. Um, and we also had like, um, like security. Uh, with the school buses because we were in a really rough section of Puerto Rico. It was not a, not a friendly place, but to the point they had to close the roads, the, the major intersections um, when we were going from A to B. But I remember on the last day we were leaving and the lady came out in a wheelchair with, you know, someone holding her and there she is. And she, we, we had gone in the house before and I think her nephew or something like made us lunch the one day and, you know, she just sat there and like didn't, didn't move. You would have thought, you know, she was in a, in a, in a awake coma and 
I remember on the last day we were leaving, I was getting on the back of the bus and she was wheeled out and she like moved her head around and was like looking around. And I haven't even seen this lady move before. We were there for a week and to see her reaction of like us being there and like putting in work and making her place look much nicer than it was. Um, she smiled and she looked at me. I mean, her just had this look. And as I was like getting onto the bus, you know, looking back and, and she smiled and like did something with like her hands and, and she had money. She hadn't had moved in a week. Yeah, I haven't seen she, was, she was in the uh, awake coma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what I came up with. I don't know. And I remember her just like kind of going like that and like clasping her hands. And then we had looked at each other and right then and there, looked at I, you. Uh-huh. she looked like in my soul and right then and there, I, I believed in God. Wow. And that's my, like why I believe story. And I'm not, you know, I'm not at church every week. I'm not a very big, uh, into it, but I do believe, um, in God. And, and that is why. Because I couldn't tell you exactly, but just it just right then and there, and I think starting to take into the atmosphere of you know church and everything, and just being a part of it, and not trying to be anti anti church and too cool, and I think that all kind of wrapped into me just accepting it and understanding it in my own way. Yeah, what what a gift that uh, you met an angel that day. Uh, that's that's literally what I feel like. I feel like we gave her a fighting, you know, a fighting chance and just maybe just maybe she lived another day. I don't know. You know, maybe she laid to rest happy, a little bit happier than she was. Yes. And, and, so. she, and she looked into your soul. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That's when you realize you really had a soul. Yeah. And then you knew there was a God. Yeah. We're not just these bodies. Yeah, we've got souls. We have spirit. Absolutely. That's beautiful, Davis. Thank you. It's it's so crazy because in sort of wondering that about you, when you had sent me that text, I've I've been wondering actually about it very recently, you know, five years later. And it's like, wow, Davis saying, and I, I will continue praying until he walks. It was just like, gosh, yeah, I think of you as that, you know, that young kid and growing up as one of Paula's friends and as with, I don't know about you, but with so many of our friends, I mean, we don't have God conversations and we have all different kinds of faiths and no faith. And, you know, uh, you know, the people I would see at our church, that's what, that's a group and our kids school, that's a group. And then we've got people in Cape May, all the different groups. Right. And I, I just, uh, I think, I think when the intention is set to pray and people gather around that intention, because if we are lucky, we have been told about God and shown how to pray. We might forget it and we might be too cool, you know, when we're younger or even when we're older. Yeah. Um, and and too cool isn't like a put down. It's just like uh, I don't really need it. You know, life is good. Yeah. What, how do I need God? You know, many a lot of fourteen to sixteen year olds don't need don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you think it's going to take something away from you? You know, we're not going to be as much fun. Or I don't know. I I, I think about no, conform. You know, 
Yeah, right, right. We'll rebel at that age, so. Yeah, but just all the, uh, it, it was like, you know, you know, I haven't thought of it like this, but it was for me, it was like a code. It was like there was a code, like a Morse code that got sent out and people heard that and they knew it. It, it, it rang true for them. And we don't know what experiences people have had, but yours with that woman in the Puerto Rican slums looking yeah. into your eyes um, is such a gift. It's such a gift Absolutely. where two angels can see each other. Yeah. I haven't talked about that in a while. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. That's what these things are all about. You're just the interconnectedness and the reconnectedness and that we are so much more than, um, you know, just our thoughts are so much more than just our bodies. <laughs> you know, I was, I was really moved today when um, you told me a number of things I didn't know, but one of them was that Archer was, when he came out and was talking, he was, he too was kind of freaking out. Like I don't have feeling in my legs or in my arms. So he's, giving, he's like, yeah. He he told me he told, said to get the turn me over and get the water out of my lungs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He knew. Yeah, he, he's he smart boy from the beginning. Yeah, he is a smart boy. He knew what was going on. He, he did. knew more than we knew at that point. I think that's right. I think that's right. You know, it's so crazy because one of the biggest, the biggest enemy uh, barrier, uh, well, the biggest enemy would be to lose hope. Um, yeah. The biggest barrier that Archer's faced was all that water in his lungs. All that water in his lungs. You know, his body's broken, but all oh, that bacteria that he, that, that yeah. he took in. I think his lungs probably were pretty filled. All the time you guys got him. Yeah. Was he out pretty far? No. Wasn't very far. No, it wasn't far at all. He told me when he dove in, he, it was about up to his thighs, he had said, when he when he made the dive with the sample. Yeah. It's hard to judge, um, especially with Cape May Beaches. You know, they can change daily. Um, but he was running. Yeah, he was running. And I mean, I don't know who doesn't run in the ocean at that age, you know. Yeah. I have like a, I don't know if it's just from lifeguarding, but you know, I have a natural, when I go to, go to the ocean, when I was just there yesterday, I didn't tiptoe in, yeah. you, know, you take your, you get off your seat, you get up, you kind of start getting a little pace and you start running and then you do your run. You know, that's different for me. I was, you know, did a lot of lifeguard training. And one of the things we always did with the other new lifeguards and stuff on the beach is we did um, like a surf dash. It's how lifeguards run into the ocean. Um, a dash, a surf dash, and you know, because if someone's drowning out there, you have to be able to haul ass, yes, into that ocean safely, as well as making entrance, you know, properly, and you have to be able to keep your eye on the victim. I mean, there's a lot going on there, um, and we used to do surf dashes all the time as practice, and that's just running into the ocean and jumping. 
Were, were you one of the junior lifeguards in that program that Kate May had? No, I never did junior lifeguards. I was too busy at the Cove. Yeah. Yeah. Arthur did. So he probably learned some of that stuff. Yeah, no, I'm sure he did. And, um, you know, who ran that was Harry Back's wife for years, Patrice. I'll be darned. Okay. I think Harry, um, I'm not sure if Patrice was there at the time. She's still lifeguards now at the beach club from uh, time to time. Um, like I said, I, I think he had a very big part of keeping your son alive. I think he did too. It was Harry, I think, who, you know, there were all those news reports. Um, and I think it was Harry whom they were coming to, to get, um, you know, to interview. Yeah. And, and to get sound bites from, uh, for those yeah. news reports. Yeah. He's very well-spoken. So that would, that would make sense. And he, yeah. He's, yeah, because he, I remember he, he, that wasn't his first, that wasn't his first victim. Rodeo. You yeah. Know? Yeah. As it was for mine, it wasn't for him. And to see those guys and how they handle it was inspiring. Oh, because of their just, it wasn't, I see what you're saying. It was something so grave as what happened with Archer. He's had experience. Yeah. It really, it really changed um, my view on like first responders too. Um, In what way? I mean, those guys, those guys see a lot of shit. Yeah. I was thinking actually not too long ago, you know, you hear about, you know, veterans having PTSD and now people are having, it's being more used, uh, loosely. Um, but I feel like no one ever talks about, you know, first responders and the PTSD they must deal with. Absolutely. The worst of the worst. You know, you wonder that they're almost a little crazy and kind of tough guy. Like, well, you know, you kind of got to armor up so that you're not, um, devastated, just a, like a natural defense mechanism, but how to really take care of like the soul. Yeah. Right. So that doesn't get stolen, um, away either. That's a, that's a really important, wonderful point. Our beaches are terrifying. Yeah. They really are. When you think about it every single year. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the way the winds, the reason why the cove is so cool yeah. is because the winds are so strong and it just carves out that little oasis. Yeah. And, and everybody's known that from the time when um, they flew the first, you know, a Kitty Hawk, you know, yeah. long, long, you know, many decades ago, they knew that about that one point and the Cape May point, because that was, that was the run. Yep. Is there anything else that you want to be able to share or, or say? Um, the only other thing that comes to mind is the prayer circles we had for Archer. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about this prayer. Circle. After the incident, it was obviously a very emotional time. Um, you know, it just wasn't just some kid that got hurt on my beach. It was a kid that, you know, I like hired him through you basically. Remember me and you had been texting, like, can I get Archer in the kitchen? I was like, yeah, let me talk to Rocky. We'll get him in. So there's a sense of responsibility, you know, in that. And he worked for me. Yeah. You're, for eight years, you were there. Yeah, I knew he was best friends with my little favorite two munchkins at the beach club, Dom and James, you know, my minions. Um, and he was Paula's brother. So your son, people I've known for a long time. Paula's probably the closest girl of a friend that I've ever had in my life, you know? Um, and 
to have someone like that get hurt in front of me and have to pull him out. Um, it's terrible. And every time I go on that beach, I don't not think about it. Like I forgot to text you back about this interview and I get a chance to sneak down for the day, go down to the Cape May. And then as soon as I hit that boardwalk, it's just Archer. Um, that boardwalk since that incident has played like a kind of a weird role in my life. You know, I've spent a lot, I grew up on that beach. I put down those boardwalks for people to walk back and forth from the, you know, to the beach. And the reason I'm saying that is when the next time I went back, I'm not sure if it was the next day or maybe two days later was to return for the prayer circle we had. Um, and I remember walking towards that beach and the second our ramp hit the first boardwalk, like my, like my knees gave out. So thinking about that walk down there. Yeah. The walk, the boardwalk. And knowing we were going to go down and, and pray for him. Yeah. It's just always been since that incident, it's been just, it's just different. And that same boardwalk where I had the worst day of my life, I had the best day of my life when I got married on it. Yes. And when I was going to make that walk down, just that same spot, because every time I think about that one spot, right where they, right where you start walking on that beach, I think of Archer. And on my wedding day, I went to go walk down that beach and it was kind of like a moment, you know, of this is the worst place I've ever, you know, experienced something. And now this is going to be like a next chapter of the best memory maybe I'll ever have in my life. Um, and it just has so many different emotions now. Um, and now going back to the club after leaving the club, um, and going back there and just having another round of emotions, thinking about Archer, thinking about the wedding day and, and, and it's just, I wish I could explain it better, but it's just that walkway will always just be different for me. Um, it's not just a walkway. It's, it's a memory, memory lane. And that day when we had the prayer circles, I just, I couldn't stop crying, you know, and you don't want to be the guy crying on the beach, you know, I want to try to be strong, but it's just, it was way too emotional. And to see the turnout and people actually care and, just were sad and upset and wanted to pray for Archer. And it's just, it's that walkway, man. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that walkway, what you've just described Davis is it's that it's the circle of healing that there will be things in our lives that are very symbolic and it's the two sides of one coin. Yeah. Right? The the joy of when you got married, the deep loss of when Archer was injured. And we carry on. And if we have these symbols in some ways, they're real blessings because they can remind us of just how resilient and precious life is yeah you know and that we have the capacity and you have the capacity to live it fully from the depths of grief 
and despair and confusion all the way up to just the elixir of new love and fatherhood and all the things that happen for a grown man who chooses a life with another person. Yeah. It's, um, so that walkway is that walkway. And it's, uh, it's a gift to you. Yeah, it really is. It really is. You're a gift to our family. Yeah. An amazing family. And you're an amazing mother. And you're the most strong lady I've ever met in my entire life. And everything you've done for Archer is incredible. Um, I can't commend you enough. And I have a whole new, just a whole new perspective just by being a father for four and a half months. Um, I'm so sorry for what happened to you guys. I am too. And I'm also so grateful for friendship and faith and what is much stronger than any one person and even any two people, all of us together. And, uh, and we want to be healed so that we can then touch other people in good loving ways. Yeah. We're not haunted by uh, jagged memories, but rather by memories that were once jagged and are softened by time and love, compassion. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's how we want to be because that's the gift we're all given. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the ebb and flow of life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Davis. Thank you. Thank you for including me on this podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for including yourself because it wouldn't be the same without you. Season two is coming in June, but we will be releasing bonus episodes on some of the Wednesdays between now and then. We wanted to give you some time to catch up or re-listen to your favorites. And thank you for telling others about Blink of an Eye. Together, we are creating a Blink of an Eye community. I look forward to being reconnected with you in June. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.